I'm reading from the book of Acts, chapter 17, and I'll read verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here. For those of you watching online, thank you for participating in that way. Uh, Thank you, dear, for reading our scripture for us this morning, Dana and team for leading us in worship. Um, Such a blessing to be here together today. Let me just say real quick thank you for a couple things. Just It's already been expressed, but I just wanted to say it as well. Thank you for participating last week on that special Sunday, our fall celebration. Um, I've told folks just so amazing to see God's hand at work to 
We didn't know. You know, we put word out, but this was first time ever doing this in the community this way, so who was, who was going to show up at a Jeep Fest field on Highway 53 in the middle of nowhere? 1,200 people came to our fall celebration last Sunday, and uh, just amazing, got this miraculous hand of God to bring people out, and the way the sun just came out right at 2 when we started again, just God's just demonstrating His blessing on that event. So uh, thank you for being a part of it. But you know what blessed me most? was when we got out on that field and uh, there were 115 Trinity volunteers involved in our day. That's a huge percentage of our regular Sunday attendance that was there serving through the day. So thank you for those of you that gave help ahead of time, who gave to the event, who were there serving at the event. If you missed it last week, we're going to be doing more of these kinds of things to serve our community, so there will be another chance. Don't miss it. It was a tremendous blessing to be there and just show, share the love of Jesus Christ with our community. And thank you, too, for two weeks ago. The last week was special. Didn't get a chance to say it specifically, but thank you for blessing our staff as well um, with the uh, precious uh, gifts and uh, gift cards and the note cards. It means a lot. Just your encouragement in a very personal way, uh, tremendous uh, boost and encouragement, uh, motivation for us. So thank you for doing that for your, your staff as well. And today is a special day because we are participating with churches all over the world in the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so this message is going to be a little bit different. Interspersed in the message will be some folks coming up from our missions committee and others who are going to help lead in prayer. We're going to stop right in the middle of the message just to pray for folks who are struggling through the for their faith in other parts of the world. So if you have that prayer guide, hope you got that as you're coming in, and just follow that. We'll put the prayers up on the screen as well because we want this reminder for all of us to be praying for those who are struggling and suffering. So would you pray with me right now as we begin to launch into God's Word together? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you that we can be a part of this international effort, churches all over the world that are pausing today to pray for those Christians who are in places in the world where living out their faith is dangerous, where they are risking their lives because they follow you. And so, Lord, we want to join those brothers and sisters and come alongside them in their suffering and pray for them. And I pray that they would know that there are churches, believers all over the world praying for them. They will feel that support and that encouragement that can only come through prayer. And thank you, Lord, that we can do this from a, from a distance, from where we are right here, right now. We can participate with them in this way through the amazing gift of prayer. And so, Lord, today as we look into your word and as we, we pause, on, as we're learning together, as we pause to pray, Lord, hear our prayers for your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with me, give me to, the, the words to accurately communicate your word relating it to our lives and to our world and our situation right here and right now today. We will give you all the praise and glory for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever been in one of those situations where you, you walk out onto something in bare feet and it's hot blacktop or hot sand? You kind of identify with that? You've been in that situation before? What's the immediate reaction? you start a little bit of a hot pavement dance, right? You know, start jumping up and down a little bit. You start moving your feet because you don't want to leave your feet too long on that hot pavement, that hot sand. 
And so it's actually the pain in your feet that begins to kind of propel you forward. So you're looking for grass or shade or water, something else to stand in that's not so hot. And I thought about that. It's a very simple illustration, but in some ways that's kind of what we see in the book of Acts. That's kind of what the reaction to persecution. It's to move, move us forward. And we've seen that in the book of Acts. Remember from the very beginning, when the church gathered in Jerusalem, it was persecution that came that began to spread the church out to Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. As we've seen in the last few chapters, as the missionary team goes from one city to the next when they face persecution, it's the persecution that moves them to the next city and to the next city and to the next city. God's using this suffering of persecution to move the gospel out and beyond. And so as Paul and Silas and others get hot feet, they move on, and the gospel moves with them to the ends of the earth, which is why we've chosen that for the title of our series in Acts. And we're continuing on in Acts today, and as happened last week, God has provided just the right passage for this international day of prayer for the persecuted church because we're going to see persecution happening again to the believers in the book of Acts. If you're not there already, please take your Bible, turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. You heard the whole passage read a moment ago by Beth, and we want to follow along in your, on your phone or your device if you have that with you. We're going to be looking at these verses again. Last week in, in chapter 16, we saw Paul and Silas, remember, they, they, they were severely beaten for their faith. They're thrown in prison, unfairly imprisoned. They end up getting out of prison. Out of that suffering comes salvation as the jailer and others come to faith. But they have to leave Philippi. Again, persecution moves them on. They got hot feet, so they're moving on. And they make this trek 100 miles to the city of Thessalonica. Now, we're going to bring the map in again here to show you a little bit of their trek. Remember, they started here in Antioch. They moved through Derby and Lystra and Iconium, these churches that had been started on the first journey. They come through Galatia and Asia, and they end up here because God prevents them going this way. God prevents them going this way, so they end up in Troas. And then God sends the call, the call of the man of Macedonia. Paul has this vision. So they go over to the area of Macedonia. They start in Philippi. That's where we saw last week. Now they move on to Thessalonica. This was a trek of some 100 miles to Thessalonica, which, by the way, was the capital city of this whole area of Macedonia. It was a city of some 200,000 people. So now we have a much larger city, a lot greater population. But pause for just a minute here because I want you to think about something. Remember, Paul and Silas were severely beaten. The next day they start on this journey. We don't know how long it took them. We don't know whether they traveled by, by foot or by horseback. But can you imagine having been flogged and then traveling in that way? I just want you to pause and see that because this is a missionary team that's committed, that's devoted. Through hardship, through suffering, they're going to travel 100 miles when they've been beaten to get to the next city and share the gospel again. I love that commitment. So, 100 miles away. You think, okay, well, finally, they got away from the persecution in Philippi, right? Yeah, but the persecution came again in Thessalonica. A hundred miles away, there's still persecution. And 2,000 years away, there's still persecution too. 
And here's the tie-in to today. As we pray for the persecuted church, as we look at the world of our world today, just like in the first century, just like it was with Paul and Silas, there's pushback against the cause of Christ, against the message of the gospel. So what can we learn today from the persecuted Christians in the book of Acts that will help us know how to support and pray for persecuted church Christians in our world, in our day? How can we better pray for them? That's what we want to dig in today. That's what we want to learn from our text. So the first thing that we see are some reasons for persecution. What are the reasons? Why does this persecution come on these believers in the book of Acts? Well, the first thing, I want to take you back first to what Jesus said, because this was not some surprise. Jesus' followers knew what was coming here. Jesus had warned them. John 15, we'll put this passage up on the screen, starting in verse 18. Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as, as, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So here we have it. The primary reason why Christians have faced persecution for 2,000 years is because Jesus was hated and persecuted. Because he suffered first. So following Jesus means following him in his suffering and in his persecution. So when we have hardship in our lives, it's a result of our faith in Jesus. We should not be surprised. There are two aspects of the persecution that come in, in Acts chapter 17 that I want to focus on in terms of understanding better the reasons why persecution came to them. The first is religious jealousy. There was religious jealousy going on. So Paul and his team follow their usual pattern. They come into Thessalonica, and the first place they go is the Jewish synagogue. Because here there is a synagogue. The city's big enough. There are enough Jews here, different than Philippi, to have a synagogue. And so they go in, and Paul, for three Sabbaths in a row, Luke tells us, he preaches the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. Three weeks, this message comes out. And what is the focus of Paul's message? What does Luke describe in those first couple of verses? The first thing he tells them about is the very identity of Jesus as the promised Messiah. He says, this Jesus was the promised Messiah. So everything you've read about in the Old Testament, everything you've heard about the Messiah, it's fulfilled in Jesus. The other thing he focuses on, on the death and resurrection of Jesus, so the work of Jesus Christ. It wasn't common that that was expected of, of the Messiah. The people had to learn that. Paul had to explain that. This was fulfilled in Scripture as well, that the Messiah would come and would die and would rise again. And Paul identifies Jesus in that way, which all makes sense, right? Because remember, these are Jews that are far away from where everything happened, where Jesus' ministry took place, right? They were, they were worshiping the God of Israel, but maybe they didn't know about what had happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so Paul begins to make these connections for them. And what happens? What's the response? Some are persuaded, Luke tells us. They join them. And they believe. They believe what Paul tells them about Jesus, which included some of the Jews, but also a number of the God-fearing Greeks, including some, Luke tells us, some prominent women in the city, which reminds us, right, of what happened in Philippi, where Lydia came to faith. 
Many of them were like Lydia. They were not Jews originally, culturally. They were Greeks who had put their faith in the God of Israel, who worshiped the one true God, and now they hear the gospel of His Son Jesus, and they respond in faith. And then Luke tells us the other side of the story, though. That is that in verse 5 he says, other Jews were jealous. Not everybody believed what Paul was saying. Some were jealous. So why, why, it's an interesting phrase, right? Why would they be jealous? Well, think about the scenario here because these Jews had gained a pretty, pretty healthy support from the community, that there were other Greeks, not just Jews, who were worshiping with them. So they had this support. Maybe some of it was financial support. They had some of these prominent women and these other Greeks that were involved. And so they had, they had come to this point where they had the acceptance of their city. And now Paul comes in and he begins giving this message about Jesus and he's pulling people away. He's pulling away some of their support. Some of the Greeks that were with them, some of these prominent women that had been part of the Jewish community are now following Jesus. They're jealous, religious jealousy. We see the same thing in our world today. Here's the connection to today and the persecuted church today. Because a lot of the persecution we see is also a result of religious jealousy, just as it was in Thessalonica. And in our day, it's, it's a little different, though, because it's not Jews jealous of Christians. It's Muslims, fundamental Hindus. It, it's those that see Christianity as a threat to their religion, and therefore they oppose it and fight against it. And that brings persecution on Christians in other places in our world. We have two examples in our prayer sheet for today. These are ministries, by the way, that are on your prayer sheet that Trinity supports, that our missions committee works with and communicates with and is involved with. One of these is the first one on your list there, Afghanistan and Iran, two countries where there's a tremendous amount of religious oppression, specifically from radical Muslims who are fighting against Christianity, against the church. The other is India, the bottom of your list there. In India, it's different. It's fundamentalist, uh, this fundamentalist group of Hindus that are trying to eradicate the church. And so I'm going to ask a couple of our individuals to come and help us here. Dave Slade is going to come and pray and lead us in this prayer for the persecuted church in Iran and in Afghanistan. I pray for our, uh, our ministries that are working so hard there to reach those Christians, support them in their suffering. And then Jason's going to come and pray for India. Uh, Shaker is our missionary that we support there, and he was a fellow classmate with Jason at Dallas Theological Seminary. And so Jason knows their family and I'm going to ask him to come and pray for them. So Dave, come on and lead us in this prayer. Join with us in this prayer for believers in Iran and Afghanistan. Let's pray. Let us pray. Lord, Father God, please lift up our Afghan and Iranian brothers and sisters as they persevere through very difficult times. Protect the believers that remain behind, determined to spread your word, the ones living in refugee camps in neighboring countries, and the ones that have come to our country seeking a new life. May your church open their doors to them while continuing to support the outreach for the Afghan Christians that remain in harm's way. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Father, we also want to lift up Shaker uh, this morning and his wife, Happy, and their boys, Jude, JJ, and Joshua. Father, we ask for protection specifically for their family. We ask that you would um, encourage them, exhort them, strengthen them. Father, lift their heads. I know Shaker has a very demanding schedule, and um, with all that he has on him, Father, I pray that you would give him joy in his work. Father, I pray that he would uh, be strengthened for uh, the task that you've given him. We pray, Father, for uh, his role in, in training pastors. We pray, Father, for him as an evangelist as he goes out into other villages, other communities to share the gospel. Father, we pray for him as a, a father, that he would be uh, discipling his boys. Pray for him as a husband, that he would love his wife and care for her. Father, we do pray for this ministry, Zion Ministries, that Shaker is um, over, and I pray, Father, for protection for it, for this ministry. Father, we do pray for fruit uh, for this ministry as well. We pray that you would protect Shaker's church that he pastors. Father, pr- protect the, the members of that church. Father, we do pray that you would keep this Hindu fundamentalist group, this group of radicals known as RSS, away from their church. And Father, we do pray that you would protect other churches in India uh, from their stated goal of shutting down every church, every Christian church that they can identify. So, Father, we ask for protection for them. We pray that, as I prayed in the first hour, that Shaker would see with his very own eyes the fruit that you give uh, to him. Father, we pray for India that there would be um, scores and scores of people who come to faith in Christ Jesus and are saved because of the advance of the gospel there. We ask these things in Jesus' name, but the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Keep praying for the church, for Christians in those countries that are facing persecution from religions that would oppress the church and Christianity and try to beat it back, Um, and that they'd have joy in the midst of their suffering. Uh, I love Jason mentioned, I mentioned this first service too, that Shaker's wife's name is Happy, a beautiful name, and representing the joy that they have in serving in such a difficult part of the world, trying to reach their own people for Christ. Keep praying for them. So there's religious jealousy. That's part of the reason there's persecution. There was, Paul and Silas experienced it. It's true in our world today. But there's another reason. As you look in, the passage continues on, there was also political oppression. So it's not just from these other religions. It's from, from politics, from government. So here's the picture, verse 5. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. So here, this group of of Jews who were against what was happening, against the message of Christ, they just find anybody they can find, grab them, hand them a, a, a sign and send them out and say, hey, throw something, yell something, do something, make make trouble. And they do. And they go out, they start this riot. And then they come to this guy's house, this poor guy named Jason. <laughs> and so he just happens to be the host for the team, apparently. They stayed at Jason's house. So when the crowd decides they want to go find Paul and Silas, they go to Jason's house. But they don't find Paul and Silas. They find Jason. And so they grab him and they drag him into the city. And he ends up in the middle of all this. Notice what happens next. The city officials get involved. Now it becomes a civil issue. Okay, so now it's come out of the synagogue and it's moved into the city center. 
Notice the accusation in verse 6. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Now, these were the same accusations that Jesus faced, right? You're disturbing the peace, claiming to be king. We have no king but Caesar, the crowd yelled. And now the same these same accusations are coming, continue to come against the message of the gospel. Why would they do this? Why would they make these charges? Well, you see, by taking it to a civil level, to a governmental level, now they get the power of government behind their persecution. Now this becomes an issue for Rome if we're disturbing the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. We're saying that there's some other king. And Peter, Paul had said that. Paul had proclaimed Jesus as the king. So now this seems like a serious civil threat. And the same happens in our day. Again, there's nothing new under the sun here because in many cases around the world, it's not a religious group that is oppressing the church. It's government. And there are places in the world where the government specifically is opposing Christianity. There's political oppression. So, again, you see it on our prayer sheet. If you look on the prayer sheet, the example of this list for today is in Belarus. Pastor Slava and his church, we've partnered with them a couple of years ago. We sent a team. Some of us went over there. We met their team in Poland. We're able to minister to folks that they had brought, unbelievers, unchurched people that their church is trying to reach. This young, just three-year-old church in Minsk that we now have partnered with to reach that part of the world with the gospel. But it's not without difficulty. Over this last year, we've told you about this a couple times, asked you to pray. The Russian-backed oppressive government of Belarus has been cracking down and making it much more difficult for Christians, for churches. Slava, Pastor Slava sent us a video just a couple weeks ago to thank us for praying for them, but also to give us a little bit of an update. I want you to see that video this morning. Pastor Slava.
Bert Boudet led our team that went there and continues to stay in communication with Pastor Slava, so I've asked him to come and pray for the church there and for the Christians in Belarus. Bert. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Uh, we thank you for Slava and his wife, Alina. Thank you they're willing to move from a very comfortable hometown to the capital city of Minsk. Uh, and we just can't imagine that it's some places it's against the law to meet like we're meeting here today. And I thank you for Slava that he has the boldness to have an unsanctioned state church and the risk that he has there. I thank you for the three believers that just got baptized there and you're growing and the people that have been thrown in for prison for no reason and that he's ministering to these people as they get out of prison. And I just pray for him and his wife and Sergey and his wife and just protect them, give them your wisdom. And we just love you. And Father, we thank you that you can do the impossible. And we thank you for Slava and Alina. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Persecution should be expected. It comes. It came for the first early church, and it comes still today. But there are also blessings that come out of persecution. And I want you to see this in our passage today, too. Sometimes opposition comes from religions, sometimes it comes from governments. But for 2,000 years, we've also seen the benefits that come, the spreading of the gospel. We've already talked about that, how the persecution has sent the gospel to the world. But there's something else. In this chapter in the book of Acts, there are a few other subtle blessings that we find right here in Acts 17. And here's the first, is that persecution distinguishes the Christian faith. It's persecution that distinguishes our faith. Notice it was Paul's proclamation of Christ that brought heat. I mean, when he went into the synagogue in Thessalonica, it was what he said about Jesus that brought the opposition. That opposition proved that Christianity was not just a, an adaptation of Judaism. It wasn't just another form of Judaism because the Jews reacted against it. This wasn't just another Greek religion, another part of Greek mythology or something like that, because there were Greeks that were opposing it as well. This stood out. Because of the opposition, Christianity stood out as something new and something different. It was not like any of those religions that were already in the city of Thessalonica. And this is what happens today, too. When there is opposition against our faith, even from other other religious groups, that opposition highlights the distinctiveness of our beliefs, of our faith. And oftentimes, that's exactly what's needed for people to see the uniqueness of Christianity. Faith in Christ is not a religion. It is not a sect. It's not a government-sponsored church. Christianity is a radical commitment to a new king, to King Jesus. Christianity is a personal relationship with the very Son of God. Christianity is a movement, as Luke describes it, as the people who were opposed to it described it here, as something that turned the world upside down. He said, these guys have come here, have been shaking up things everywhere they go. Well, it wasn't Paul and Silas and Barnabas doing the shaking up. It was the gospel of Jesus that was shaking things up. That's what was turning things upside down. That's what was changing lives. 
And so it's the persecution that enables that message of the gospel to stand out as it does. And it's a threat to religions, to governments, because it's transformative. So this persecution, this martyrdom that we've seen that's come out of persecution is, is really what has demonstrated that this faith in Jesus is worth dying for. That's what the martyrs have proven. That's what the church has proven throughout all these years that persecution, that even death has not stopped it. In fact, it has pushed it to grow even more. The gospel has spread most where persecution has been greatest. You know, one of the, vo- one of the organizations that we support that draws attention to the persecuted church is called Voice of the Martyrs. They're, they call on believers everywhere to pray. They are behind this whole effort to, be, to, to, to uh, put out this international day of prayer for the persecuted church. It's a ministry that we support. It's founded by a couple named Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, who were themselves tortured for their faith. Back in World War II, they were both imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Their story is told, maybe you've seen the story in written form in the book Tortured for Christ. That's been out for years and years and years. But just this year, a movie has been made about their life. And so this movie called Sabina is a retelling of the story of their life, of their suffering. This couple that founded this ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. The back of the prayer guide shows you a little information about this because this movie is on a limited release right here in our area for the next three days. And if you have a chance, I'd encourage you to do it. I think it'd be well worth your time to get out. There's a theater in Canton showing this each night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night this week, in conjunction with this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. If you want to learn a little bit more about this couple that started this ministry to minister to the persecuted church. In our, for our purposes today... I want to focus on China. Again, one of the prayer requests here mentions China, and maybe you had a little trouble pronouncing that word if you haven't heard us say it before. The Uyghurs is how you say that. The Uyghurs is a people group in eastern, or western China, but in some other areas as well. That's, and our church some years ago chose this group as, to sponsor as our unreached people group, that we would be part of the effort to bring the gospel to this unreached people group. This is a group that's, that's suffering persecution, not for their Christian faith, but right now in China, for their Muslim faith. They're primarily a Muslim people group. And so the, the Chinese government has been putting them into re-education camps, and I think their fear is that they will turn radical and they'll have a problem with them in their country, and so they're sending them into slave camps and so on. If you probably heard this in the national news over the last couple of years, They're persecuted for their Muslim faith. But that has opened the door in amazing ways them to be open to the gospel coming in to hear about Jesus. Persecution has led to that openness. And so now missionaries who were forced out of China are now pushing the gospel back into the Uyghurs in their language through the Internet, through radio, through other forms. And so they're hearing the gospel that way. If you saw our video yesterday, Beth and I went to visit Mo and Ellie, who live in a retirement community now and coming. And Mo was one of our instrumental committee, missions committee members that helped us remember and, and uh, pray for the Uyghurs 
He kind of headed up that effort for us. And so as we went to visit them, we put on our video yesterday. If you haven't seen it yet, go back and watch that. He tells about what Trinity has done, and it tells a little bit more about the ministry to this people group. And then we asked Mo to pray. So for this morning, for a couple I just want you to hear Mo as he prays for the Uyghurs. Let's join him in prayer that this persecution, their suffering, would lead them to the gospel. Our loving God, we come to pray for the unreached people group in Asia that our church has been led to pray for and for the Christian workers who are communicating the gospel uh, technologically so they may know and accept you as their personal savior. Unreached people group falls or rolls off our tongue so easily that it lessens the severe persecution that these people are experiencing. When over a million of these people are interred, interned in camps and are used for slave labor, when men are beaten and even killed, when women are sterilized and raped, and when families are separated for no reason than they are a minority people group, we pray for your intervention for these, for their mental and physical handicap at this time. We pray for your saving grace, that you love them, forgive them, and promise them eternal life. We pray that they will learn the word, the prayer of the psalmist, King David, that you, God, are their light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. When shall I, what shall I dread? When evildoers come upon them to devour them, those adversaries and enemies will stumble and fall. Though a host encamp against them, their heart will not fear. The war arises against them. In spite of this, they shall be confident. We pray also for the Christian workers whom you have called to reach them for Christ, for their physical needs, for their financial needs. We pray also for their encouragement as they see how God is reaching them in their hearts for Christ. And we pray for our U.S. government, our State Department, that has come to realize the evil these Asian people is uh, facing. And we pray that uh, this uh, will be in your name, Jesus Christ, for answers for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So persecution helps distinguish the gospel as something unique. But last thing the persecution does is it grows a believer's faith. Hardship, persecution can actually grow our faith as well. And so this is what happens to the missionary team. They move on. They, they're run out of Thessalonica under cover of night. They leave, and Paul and Silas and Timothy travel another 60 miles now to the town of Berea. And there they find this refreshing contrast. So they go to the synagogue to preach as usual, but Luke tells us there in Berea, those Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Interesting way to put it. So what, what does he mean by a more noble character? 
Well, they were because they listened not only to what Paul said, they studied the Scripture. They went back, and Paul said, hey, you can see this in your Old Testament Scriptures. And they went back and looked it up. They saw what Paul was teaching them, what he was telling them, that these prophecies did tell of the Messiah and that they applied to Jesus. And so they come to faith because of this commitment to the Word. And many of the Jews, Luke tells us, believed, as did a number of Greeks again. So this wonderful response to the gospel, and then trouble comes again. Just as before, the persecution follows them again. So these antagonistic Jews from Thessalonica, they travel 60 miles just to keep, the, keep up the persecution. They follow them, and they stir up the city. They stir up trouble. And once again, Paul has to leave town. This time is a little different, though, because Silas and Timothy stay in Berea to strengthen and teach the church there. So these believers who had been already grounded in the Word were noble because they searched the Word. Now they are taught the Word, and their faith becomes solidified. They begin to grow. They begin to become disciples of Jesus. And this is evident as well today. Wherever Christians face persecution, there is a depth of faith. There's a commitment to the Word to the church, to the gathering of the people. And this is where, I, you know, we talk about this sometimes, how because of our freedom, because of <clears throat> the ease we have to do what we're doing today, to meet, to fellowship, to worship, to read the Word, the Bible is so accessible to us that sometimes we end up taking it for granted. It becomes easy just to set it aside or to find other things, other priorities take place. But for those who risk their lives to gather, for those who risk their lives to get their hands on a Bible to read, it means everything to them. There's a deep commitment, something we can learn from, from our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And so I think this is what we see in, in Berea as well, this commitment to God's Word, and it drives them deeper. It grows their faith despite the persecution that comes to their city. And one last prayer request on our sheet as well. You'll see that our church supports a ministry in Kazakhstan, a place where there's a lot of persecution against the church from the government that seeks to shut down churches. And yet this couple, James and Maria Warkentine, who we support at Trinity, are working there discipling people. They're doing exactly what Silas and Timothy did in Berea. They're grounding people in God's Word, growing them as disciples so they can go out and tell others about Jesus in their own country. And so I'm going to ask Phyllis, who leads our missions committee, to come and to pray for the Workentines and for their work and for the church and for believers in Kazakhstan. Thank you, Phyllis. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we just lift the quarantines to you, and Father, we just thank you and praise you for these people who have dedicated their lives to sharing your word in a place where God, the gospel is not welcomed. And Father, we just thank you as they continue to, to strive against the government and to, to share and train leaders to share the gospel in this place where the the gospel is just uh, so unwelcome. Father, we just thank you for them. We pray that you encourage them as they continue to train uh, leaders that go out and disciple so many uh, people throughout the country. 
And Father, we just pray that as they disciple others, that they not only the leaders in the would be uh, encouraged, but Father, you just encourage the people that are coming to Christ, because Father, this is a this is not an easy road, and Father, they are facing so much persecution and hate from their neighbors and also from their families. Father, we just lift these people to you, and Father, we just thank you and praise you that your heart, their hearts have been opened to you. And now, Lord, we just thank you that in Kazakhstan, the word is going forth. And Father, in the midst of just this hard, hard place, we just give you all the praise and honor, Lord, and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Over and over, when, the, when persecuted believers are asked, how can we pray for you? It's not that the persecution would stop. It's that they would be bold and courageous and continue to present the gospel even in the midst of persecution. Persecution is going to come. It will always be with us till Jesus comes back again. There are multiple reasons why persecution comes against the church. But there are also blessings that come out of that persecution. That God's purposes will not, cannot be thwarted no matter how much the world pushes against it. His kingdom is forever. And so as we close this morning and we actually transition to the Lord's table, I want to remind you that what we do at this table pushes right back to what Jesus said. The world hates me, and therefore it will hate you. And this is a demonstration of it. Jesus went to the cross because he was rejected. He suffered on our behalf, for our sin. And so when we celebrate the table, we are remembering His suffering, His persecution. But this morning, I want to add another element. Because of this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I think this is also a reminder that it's not just, we don't just celebrate the physical body of Jesus, that what He gave up for us. We remember the spiritual body of Jesus. That's the church. That's our brothers and sisters who are also suffering like Jesus suffered suffering because of their faith in Him, suffering because they're following Him. And so it's important for us to remember them too. And so as we come to this table this morning, we'll, the bread is a reminder of the broken body of our Lord Jesus. But today, it also reminds us of the broken bodies of brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. The cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus, shed for the forgiveness of our sin. But it also reminds us that Blood of the martyrs has been shed over the years of those who've chosen to follow the Lord Jesus. We need to be in prayer for them as we remember what Jesus has done for us. As we come to this table this morning, we want to take just a few minutes in prayer. And this morning, I think we should pray as we normally encourage you to do so, pray for the confession and, and um, asking forgiveness for our sin. That certainly is appropriate that we get ourselves right to participate in the table. But I think this morning to also use this quiet time in the next moment to pray for those who can't do what we're doing right now, who cannot openly, without danger to their lives, have a communion service publicly. Remember them. Pray for them. Let's take a moment in silent prayer right now.